Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with the man, Luis Miguel Echegaray. How are you, my friend? Happy birthday <laughs> to... I'm not quite Marilyn Monroe, but it'll do. <laughs> Feliz cumpleaños. Happy birthday, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, you going to do something fun for it? Uh, I'm here doing the podcast, which is the most fun part of my work week. So. And I, I have an imaginary birthday cake for you right here. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It was good. Spent some time with the family. Uh, My wife was happy there was no soccer on the actual day of Thanksgiving. But apart from that, you know, everything was good. Just relax, had some good food, spent some time with uh, the fam, and that's it. How about you? It was good. Uh, Here in New York, I think the best thing to do for Thanksgiving is, one, not to travel. Yep. Two, to host family in town but have them stay elsewhere other than <laughs> your actual residence. We're doing that next year because we had to go all the way to Connecticut, but we were smart in terms that we left, obviously, at a time when it wasn't too crazy, and we came back on a Saturday, not Sunday. Smart. But next year, we're doing exactly what you just said. Host them, but they're going to stay somewhere else. Yeah. My brother was in town. It was great. Uh, but yeah, he stayed elsewhere. Excellent. Um, we're going to talk about a few things here. In this show, uh, busy weekend, especially over in Europe. We're going to talk about Liverpool with yet another win, now eight points up on Leicester and 11 on City. Uh, we're going to talk about other stuff in the Premier League. Chelsea, surprising loss at home to West Ham. Uh, we're going to talk about Unai Emery getting the sack at Arsenal. United to Villa 2 we'll talk about. And quietly, quietly, Jose Mourinho has Spurs up to fifth with a midweek game coming at Man United. Ooh, baby. Other stuff happening in Europe. Lionel Messi saves Barcelona again. Inter into first place in Syria. Ah, over in Germany, Bayern Munich losing at home again to Leverkusen and just wondering if maybe they will continue to struggle in the Bundesliga. Jurgen Klinsmann has a job again at Hertha Berlin. We'll talk Ballon d'Or, which is being given men's and women's today, just after we record. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, midweek Premier League games, which are always fun. 
Uh, they're playing a million games in December here in North America. I'm going to take a look back to nine years ago today, the biggest, most definitive day for me for FIFA in the 21st century when they gave the World Cups to Qatar and Russia and set off just uh, stuff we're still seeing happen. Kind of crazy that it's been nine years, right? It makes me feel kind of old because that was my birthday as well. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about Lyon buying Rain FC in the NWSL. Big news in the women's game. We're going to talk about the Euro 2020 draw, very unbalanced, and the Copa America draw, which has become an annual event. Yeah, I, it's monthly, isn't it? The Copa America every month. <laughs> so let's dive into the Premier League. Liverpool just keeps chugging along here. Eight points up now on Leicester, which had a late win as well against Everton. City can't get it done again against Newcastle, only getting one point out of that game. Let's talk about Liverpool 2, Brighton 1. Not too much to say here except Van Dyke headers, goals, Allison red card. <laughs> That's it. That's pretty much the recap. It was a, a Virgil van Dyke performance, uh, you know, uh, two good goals. Uh, Allison Becker, a straight red for, uh, you know, a handball outside of the box. And then which saw a really bizarre slash smart free kick from Lewis Dunk uh, making it 2-1 in the 79th minute. And then Liverpool just holding on for that win. So it wasn't, again, uh, a repetitive uh, theme of Liverpool where they're coming away with three points without necessarily playing too well. And once again, the recycled argument comes in. As you said, December is here. And this is, for me, the crucial month for Liverpool to see what they can do and withstand. But the fact that they're eight points over Leicester, 11 over Manchester City, is quite the gap. Uh, again, it's not over, but the consensus begins to feel that this really is, and I know every Liverpool supporter is hating me right now, that this could be the year, but it all depends on this month to me. I think that this is a very big month. And if Liverpool, Manchester City loses again, or drops points again. I mean, what can we say at this point? But I'm not saying that it's a given, but it's looking better than last season for sure. So a couple of weeks ago, I tried to make the case that Fabinho was actually the most important player to Liverpool this season. And now Fabinho is out basically for the month of December with an injury. And it's not the first injury they've had to deal with this season, obviously. Allison was out for quite a while. Uh, Joel Matip has been out for a while. And they just keep getting three points in every single game. Will that happen with Fabinho? So from an offensive perspective, I don't think it's a huge issue for Liverpool. I mean, Oxlade-Chamberlain is finally getting back to a certain rhythm. Uh, when Naldum can always deliver, Jordan Henderson is obviously going to be the, the architect in that midfield defensively. When they lose the ball and they try and protect a counter, etc., this is where Fabinho is key. So that, to me, is the biggest issue. And again, we go back to the fact that they're going to be facing some key matches, Champions League, Premier League, obviously the Club World Cup, which, you know, even though in the big scheme of things doesn't matter, is still bodies, you know, physically being used. So to me, it's a defensive issue. You know, that's, to me, the most important thing. I mean, Lalana can give you what he can give you, but he is, like you said, there's an argument to be made that Fabinho has been the most important player this season, you know, next to Sadio Mane. Uh, so to me, I think that that's a big one, a big piece of homework that Jurgen Klopp has to do in order to protect Liverpool. Because we've been saying Liverpool's been winning ugly, and part of the reason has been that they've been getting away with defensive frailties. Losing Fabinho now adds a bigger gap. Yeah, we're going to find out now how deep they are. And I, and I yeah. think actually I've, I've 
come to believe they're pretty deep because every time they've had an injury this season that it really hasn't affected them all that much. Uh, I do think that might be the case if they had an injury in their front three. By the way, I'm seeing reports Jaden Sancho wanting to move to Liverpool in January. That could be interesting. Interesting indeed. I mean, he's not a direct replacement in terms of defensive protection in the midfield, but my goodness. No, not at all. I mean, he's a totally different player. But again, it's another angle that he can provide. I mean, I'm looking at the schedule right now. We have Wednesday, they have the Merseyside Derby against Everton, away at Bournemouth. Then it's the last final game, which is a pretty important game away at uh, Red Bull uh, Salzburg. Then at home to Watford, the Football League Cup, uh, you know, uh, quarterfinal against Villa, which we already know it's going to be a rotational young squad. And then they're in the Club World Cup. So there's a lot of, you know, interesting pieces. Uh, You know, Jaden Sancho, you said, you know, that's January. Maybe more players will come in in January. Who knows? But this is a key. It's a marathon, you know, uh, task for Jurgen Klopp. I should also mention here that Champions League game at Salzburg is tricky suddenly because Jesse Marsh's Salzburg team is still alive. And if they were to win that game, like anywhere uh, like from 1-0 to even like 4-3, Liverpool would probably be out. Yeah, Liverpool's leading with 10 points, then Napoli with 9, Red Bull with 7. Like you said, it's a key game. It's kind of crazy. So you don't want to lose sight of that game. Uh, let's talk about City a little bit here. Newcastle 2, City 2. I don't think Newcastle is a very good team, and yet City continues to have problems with them. And that that was happening in this game as well. Is, is this just a case of not enough good central defenders? Does it really come down to that for City? You know, it's interesting because I thought Fernandinho was actually pretty good in this game. Uh, But yes, obviously, when you don't have two natural center backs that have been consistently healthy, that's going to give you a problem. As you said, you know, Steve Bruce, he's a a great man. He's been around for a while, but his, his teams, when he manages, are pretty easy to figure out. So to me, it's it's kind of a shock that Man City could not. They lost the lead twice. Uh, you know, it needed a Kevin De Bruyne majestic goal yeah. to keep it a 2-1. But then uh, John Joe Shelby made it 2-0 and they just can't control the lead. So I, I think it, obviously a lot has to do with the fact that they don't have a consistent back line that can protect. And that's worrying. And it's especially against a Newcastle team that they have a lot of individual talent, but they're not clicking. And the fact that you, even though it's aware, you know, and, and Newcastle wants to separate itself from the bottom three, it's at St. James's Park. The fact that Manchester City, the defending champion, can't come away with three points is saying something. Well, we talked about there being a big two this season and last season in the Premier League. And enough time is passing now that that may not be true. Mm. I mean, you look at what Leicester's doing and I realize, you know, it's relatively early in the season still, and they may not be able to keep it up for the entire season. But right now, Leicester deserves to be where they are in the table. Yep, 100%. I mean, they've won 14 times. They've only lost twice. They're playing really well. There's a real chemistry with the team. They're coming out with ugly wins as well as good ones. Uh, It's a really good side. And at you know, this now really has to be the definite point where Brendan Rodgers needs some respect and needs to be recognized as such. Yes, it's it's still halfway through the season, just under that. But so far, eight points behind Liverpool. Second, losing your best centre back to Manchester United. You had to rotate a lot of, you know, of your team. Jamie Vardy is revitalized. This is a squad that really is there for the taking, and it's a really good team. And they deserve all the credit for being second right now. 
I love the fact that Leicester is doing this with a almost completely different team yeah. than the one that won the league a few years ago. I do wonder, is the biggest concern for Leicester that some other team takes Rodgers midseason? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, there was a conversation about Arsenal very interested in Brandon Rodgers. So it all depends at this point, I guess, with Brandon Rodgers. Is he going to be loyal enough to stay? Nobody's saying that he's going to leave. But when, a, you know, a team comes in and shows interest, what will the answer be? I'm thinking just by instinct that Brandon Rodgers, no matter who comes in to be interested, he enjoys the work that he's producing at Leicester City. He's enjoying you know, the revitalization of this club. So I don't think he would, like, be tempted, but you you never know. By the way, it's a very tricky end of the month for Leicester City. They're, after the quarterfinal League Cup uh, away at Everton, they have Manchester City and Liverpool. So, you know, those two will be tricky. But, again, all credit to... I mean, what do you think? Do you think Brendan Rodgers would be tempted by, by another... I kind of think he would. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to say it. Um, I, I think he is a guy who... You just don't see staying at Leicester for a really long time. I don't. I just don't think he would leave halfway through the season. I, I think, think maybe the end of the year, like he would reconsider and see what happens. But uh, I, I don't think it would happen. But, you know, I've been proven wrong many times. I don't know. Well, uh, one reason there's another job available, uh, Unai Emery out at Arsenal. And not entirely surprising, I guess. Uh, the last straw, I guess, was Frankfurt winning at the Emirates in the Europa League. But this was happening for a while. You could see it develop. Even though a couple of weeks ago we saw reports, you know, Arsenal will give Emery like the month of December in these winnable games. Well, and we knew that wasn't that true. Happen. Like this is such a, you know, short memory kind of game. They, no matter. They they just said that to for some quality PR control. And we we said it as soon as, you know, at the beginning of the Southampton game, you know, they had that run. And like you said, the final straw was uh, Frankfurt and, you know, there's no Unai Emery wasn't completely blameless here, but he's not right. the main issue. But we've discussed that. So now it's about Freddie Lindbergh and what he can do as a caretaker manager. You know, both college, high school days, we remember him obviously being part of the Invincibles. You know, there's a lot of uh, nostalgia, I think, with uh, Arsenal fans and seeing Freddie Lindbergh. But I would be very, very... Uh, you know, surprised if he was the one that got the permanent job. I think, you know, there's bigger fish to, to try and, and get. And I guess as all these managers are leaving clubs, Arsenal probably have to act quicker rather than later. I find some comparisons here to Manchester United. For one, Freddie Lundberg reminds me of Ole, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yeah. a little bit here, a guy that, you know, has this DNA with the club but actually not that much else going for him as yeah. a manager. So don't make that mistake, Arsenal. Uh, Freddie Lundberg also viewed as one of the worst teammates in the history of MLS when he was in Seattle. Uh, there's some stories about that out there. Um, and then also, Unai Emery reminds me a lot of David Moyes' time at Man United. Um, who had a, a worse experience, Moyes or Emery, replacing the legend? I'm going to go with Emery. <laughs> <laughs> I I just don't, I mean, David Moyes was taking on the monumental, I mean, Arsene Wenger obviously deserves all the risk, but he was taking the monumental job of taking over Sir Alex Ferguson. There is, you're just not, no matter what you did, unless you won a treble that year, you are not going to achieve any expectation. But, you know, there's reports of how Emery has been treated, uh, you know, both from within inside the, the squad and, and, and by fans. I, 
nothing is is proven as fact yet but like i said this the arsenal issue is way bigger than a manager so i agree i tweeted exactly the same thing actually that i see the lumberg situation the same as Solskjaer. so even though there might be some positive results coming their way they have to be very careful in terms of overall picture by the way there wasn't a positive result coming over the weekend <laughs> they tied against norwich <laughs> yeah <laughs> but maybe <laughs> we'll see that that, uh, that by the way that game against norwich like exactly you could have had like the best manager in the world right now you can't fix the fact that against like against the counter arsenal is very vulnerable and norwich just completely exposed them yeah defensively they're brutal um let's talk about chelsea uh, surprising loss at home. Second straight league loss now for Chelsea to West Ham United of all teams. And this has to be frustrating for Chelsea here because this was a weekend where they could have made up points on on City at least and didn't. And, and now you, you kind of feel like maybe this is what happens when you have this young of a team maybe? Yeah, and how reliant you are, I guess, on Tammy Abraham. I mean, Tammy was obviously out. Giroud came in as the starting, you know, striker. He didn't amount too much, but yes, I I think so. When you have a young squad, everything is great. But there's something to be said about experience and longevity. I mean, there wasn't much to take away from this Chelsea side at home to a West Ham who's been struggling. I mean, obviously West West Ham right now is up against it, trying to just scrap for any kind of victory, and they did that. And you know, it was like you said, it was. Sometimes when you have a young squad, there's more than just saying, oh, we're going on a good run because eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep up with you. I think Tammy Abraham's absence was a lot. It wasn't the major reason, but maybe something for Chelsea to think about in January. Well, I think they missed not having Conte in the lineup from the start right. as well. He came on in the game, but they just couldn't find a way to get back in it. Uh, Christian Pulisic uh, had some chances, didn't score. Uh, that's got to be frustrating, even though you notice Lampard did leave him in for the entirety of the game, which is interesting. Uh, and the best human story of the week, I would say, uh, David Martin, the goalkeeper, third string keeper for West Ham United, 33 years old, making his Premier League debut, has a clean sheet and a win at Stamford Bridge and kind of broke into tears on the field. Really cool moment where his, at the end where his teammates came and uh, and, and then supported he hugged, him. He hugged his dad, Alvin Martin, who's a West Ham legend. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. It was the best moment from a human perspective from the Premier League. It was just great to see a 33 years old waiting for his chance, kept a clean sheet. Really great. Love the announcers at the end, not knowing what why he was crying on the field. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> Research people. Um, so we're looking ahead here. Uh, in midweek here, we're going to have Spurs at United. Jose Mourinho returns to Man United with a Spurs team that is now up to fifth place, by the way. They're on 20 points. They're still six behind Chelsea. So, yes, they are perfect so far under Mourinho. Another 3-2 win where they get three and then two, concede too late and really make it Height at the end, but still get the three points. This one against Bournemouth. Um, for me, I like. I'm not gonna be, you know, singing the praises of Jose Mourinho until they can get into the top four, and, and that would show something for me if they could do that. But yeah, you know, what are you thinking so far about Mourinho and in, in this Spurs experiment? Well, we can't call him boring, right? Ten goals <laughs> in three matches right now, unbelievable. <laughs> 
what a turnaround. The fact that Tottenham is now fifth out of yeah. nowhere. I mean, granted, it's only three matches. Uh, there's still a lot to play, but he has done some things that are, like have made more sense, uh, specifically mostly the revitalization of Deli Ali, who's acting mm-hmm. way more as a false nine, uh, kind of like a free role right behind Harry Kane. He's way more direct. Um, and I, I remember reading something from uh, Lucas Maura saying how when Pochettino was in charge, he was placing him in, in, in an unnatural position in the middle, and he hates that. He likes to be more on the wide area, which is what Mourinho's doing. You know, there was criticism about Eric Dyer in the first two matches. He was pretty good this weekend. So things are clicking, and there's an energy, and this Manchester United game is going to be great. You know, um, at Old Trafford, literally against his former club, the atmosphere should be great. But the way that Tottenham is clicking right now and the way that Manchester United once again is struggling to come away with, with victories would say to me that everything points to another Tottenham win. I think that would just be brutal for United if Mourinho and Spurs were to come in and win at Old Trafford, especially the way things have been going lately with United just getting point, point at best against teams that aren't very good. Would you think that now the argument about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would come in if they lose that game? I mean, we're seeing coaches get fired, you know, and and so you keep hearing that United isn't even considering making a move with Solskjaer. They should be. Because after that, it's a Manchester derby, my friend. No, I know. And you're also looking at right now, there are good coaches available on the market. Now, the question is, are they actually available right now? Like, if you're Mm. Mauricio Pochettino, does he have, as we've seen some reports, that as part of his settlement severance package, as it were, with Spurs, that he might not be allowed to coach in the Premier League for the rest of this season? I don't know if that's the case, and I, I... Probably should make some calls and find out myself if I haven't confirmed it. But uh, I do I do wonder about that, or even if he'd want to dive back into a team mid-season like this. Um, but I mean, certainly there are some good coaches available right now, and and I look at at where United is, and obviously we've talked about it, their problems are much bigger than just the coach, but he is a problem. Yep, I mean. There's just no, and the way that the nature of the beast is, that the patience is definitely running thin. Yeah, we'll see how this week goes for United. I think it's it's going to be an interesting one. By the way, I wanted to mention United 2, Villa 2. I just called your team not very good. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, actually, Villa had some good moments in this game. I mean, listen, let's not take anything for granted here. Villa was struggling in the championship this time last year. So it's not, you know, the, the turnaround is amazing. Dean Smith just receiving a, a four-year contract extension. He's loved by everybody in that club. The, there is a philosophy that's changing. This is a young squad. Jack Grealish uh, will play for England at some point this 24 years old, and he scored a ridiculous goal against Manchester United this time round. And let's not forget, Aston Villa has taken leads against Tottenham, against Arsenal, um, uh, you know, uh, against Liverpool, nearly winning all three and then giving it away. I'm just lucky and happy to see that, you know, they hold on to at least a point, but it was a well-deserved point and, and, you know, good to see. But again, it, it also exposed just how lack of creativity Manchester United can be. Uh, Rashford 
was struggling in the first half. He, you know, he improved in the second. Daniel James, again, the same issue. But this is also a very young squad when you look at, at all the other, you know, when you sub in somebody like Mason Greenwood, who's a great player, but he's 18 years old. Like, you know, so they're missing Pogba and Lukaku's exit doesn't help at all. But again, Aston Villa this past weekend exposed just how vulnerable Manchester United is. Quick question, since you're a Villa fan, does anyone call Dean Smith among the fans El Dino, like Dean Smith, <laughs> the former Carolina basketball coach? Well, only American uh, uh, f- followers ask me that question, but uh, I-, I do like it. I do like it, El Dino. <laughs> you should start that. We should start that. Yeah, let's do it. Um, moving on to the continent, Lionel Messi with a ridiculous late goal. Uh, for Barcelona in an otherwise forgettable game, but at Atletico Madrid, and Diego Simeone continues to not be able to beat Barcelona in the league. He never has as Atletico Madrid manager. Um, and I, I just wonder at this point, are, are we in a situation where Barcelona is relying on Messi as the sole savior more than ever before? I mean, definitely this season. Um this game was, uh, I don't think it was as unwatchable. I think there was some great moments. I think there's a lot of, you know, a testament needs to be said to both goalkeepers, Oblak and, and Ter Stegen, pr- produced some really Ter great Stegen saves. Especially yeah. in this game. Um, the woodwork also helped both yeah. sides. Um, it's funny, Simeone said that we had, like, to about Atletico Madrid this specifically this season, that, you know, fans have to be a little patient because it is a transitional year. I predicted that they would win the league at the beginning. I'm obviously very wrong on that one. But, this season, more so than ever, especially with Valverde's um, lack of creativity in certain matches and sort of the, the lack of energy or fire, Lionel Messi is being relied on way more than ever. And it was just a testament yesterday on Sunday, that goal, you know, out of nothing, you know, a little lovely t- one-two with Luis Suarez, and then he made it one nothing, and they've just been relying so much on him, which says a lot about both Barcelona and Lionel Messi. And... Uh, you know it's interesting to see, but you know Barca jumps to to top of the table. I don't I don't see Barcelona winning the Champions League with this kind of performance. But La, the La Liga, yeah, for sure. I mean Real Madrid is you know I'm sure we can talk about them, but you know they're they're coming back up now, and uh, you know so it'll be interesting to see. But I think Lionel Messi at this point has become so important for Barcelona even more than previous years. Yeah, it's really crazy to me because I thought once Frankie De Jong came in. Uh, you know, they have Artur. I, I thought that would be a, a useful midfield. And there's just something that's not working there. Dembele also now out once again. You know, the struggles continue. Griezmann is not producing like perhaps a, a lot of them thought was going to do. So there's there's issues and they need Lionel Messi more now than ever. By the way, I, I will make this point that it's hard, a little hard to say that they're relying entirely on Messi when Ter Stegen has been this good. Yes, Ter Stegen deserves a lot of credit. My goodness. Yesterday especially was, I mean, some some attempts were uh, directly at him, but his reactions were fantastic. He was he was amazing. Uh, by the way, for Mexican fans, it was really good to see Hector Herrera play very well. He, he had a good game, but Ter Stegen deserves a lot of credit. Were it not for Messi's goal, he would have been man of the match for me. So, Man United struggling in England. Meanwhile, uh, Romelu Lukaku and his team enter just doing extremely well at this point. They go into first place in Italy. Uh, Lautaro Martinez and Lukaku up front. I bet, like, Martinez, like, to me right now, seems like the breakout 
center forward in Europe. Like the guy who hasn't necessarily, he's like becoming a superstar before our eyes. Yeah, I agree. And I think that this is good news for Inter, great news for Argentina, as you can yeah. see maybe the future building around him. I think that... Um, it, there's an argument to be made that Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez are probably the best partnership right now in Europe. Maybe Luis Suarez, Messi. Uh, but my goodness, just unbelievable. And it's so great to see. I mean, Lautaro Martinez came with a lot of pressure, didn't start very well at the beginning entering Europe. And now look at what is being achieved. And if Inter Milan wins Serie A, a lot of it is to do because of that of that partnership and especially Lautaro Martinez. And give Antonio Conte some credit here for coming in and doing what he's done with Inter. They are a legit team to win this league right now. I don't think anyone is disbelieving of that possibility. And when you see the way Juventus played over the weekend, tying at home against Sassuolo, um, you know, Cristiano's not in great form at all right now. I felt kind of sad uh, seeing Gigi Buffon have a game like this one. Um, and it just makes you think, wow, you know, this Juve team may not be that good. Yeah, you know, there's there's a, there's an argument to be made about, you know, the aging of certain players. Uh, good to see Paolo Dybala become way more of a focal point. But, you know, listen, I'm, they're one point behind Inter Milan. True. Right? So th- a, lot, a lot can happen. And Lazio, by the way, third, plays with 30 points. But... As you said, Antonio Conte's job right now with Inter Milan is fantastic and so far so good for for, uh, for this club. And it's always good to see Inter Milan, you know, do, do well. It, it gives me nostalgia from the 90s, that's you, for sure. You want to see them be relevant. Now, they do have a, a tricky situation here in Champions League uh, ahead of them where basically don't they have to beat Barcelona at home in the last game? They do. They uh, Barcelona has 11 points in first place. Inter Milan is on seven, but Dortmund... Um, who faces Slavia Praha, like, they also are on seven. So, you know, Inter needs points yeah. in order to get to that, that second swap. Uh, let's move into Germany here real quick. Uh, Bayern Munich losing at home to Leverkusen. And uh, it's still a jumble atop the standings in the Bundesliga. Uh, Gladbach still at the top. Leipzig, to me, seems like... The team, if I was going to pick one team right now in Germany to win that league, I, I Leipzig's good. God, it's it's crazy, the Bundesliga, right? Yeah, I mean, this is the moment for a, a team not named Bayern Munich to take over. And right now with Bayern being fourth, you know, entering the break, you know, Leipzig, Gladbach, they have to do everything they can to maintain this lead because I haven't seen a better chance in years to overtake somebody like Bayern Munich or Dortmund, for that matter, who's fifth. If it doesn't happen this year for a non-Bayern team in the Bundesliga, it may never happen. Right. Seriously. I'm just, I'm very intrigued to see what will happen when in the head coaching job for Bayern Munich, you know, sooner rather than later, you would think. The longer they go without being in first place in the Bundesliga, the sooner we'll see a new coach there, I would think. Yeah. Uh, who that would be, that's a good question, right? Because Pochettino's a guy who we had kind of decided that might be the best place for him to go. Um, I'd love to know, what's Poch doing right now? Is he on a beach somewhere? He should be on a beach right now. After everything he's had to deal with, he should be on a beach just absolutely relaxing. <laughs> Jurgen Klinsmann is back coaching at Hertha Berlin. What happened to the Ecuador job? There were reports <laughs> that he's going to take the Ecuador job. I think he would have been so dumb if he took the Ecuador job. Ecuador needs so many, so many problems in Ecuador. Like, 
I mean, it depends how much money was being thrown at him, I guess. I mean, it's... Uh, no, listen. I, I, every report was saying he was going to take the Ecuador gig. I guess he did a, a 180 and, and just decided to stay closer to home. I think Jurgen's agents are actually the master of getting it PR. out there that he's considering another job when he actually wants a different job or he wants an extension to his contract as the U.S. coach in December of 2013, which is a ludicrous decision that U.S. soccer made and then made him the technical director as well, and I'm not bitter about it still, right? <laughs> um, it's going to be interesting because Jurgen Klinsmann's uh, track record as a club manager is not good. Right. It's been 10 years since he was the Bayern Munich manager, and it was it went so poorly behind the scenes that mild mannered people like Philip Lahm just roasted Klinsman in his book. And just the stories that came out of it were like this guy was not a club manager. It, it made me think maybe the Ecuador, like a national team job, would have been the right choice for Jurgen Klinsmann. But now we get the entertainment again to see him coach a club team. Now, it is for the just the season? Is that what the, the situation is? I think the news is that he's going to be there until the end of the season. Right. But, you know, in this game, what if, you know, Hertha Berlin manages to do well with him and do they offer him a gig all we know right now is that it's till the end of the season no added information weird has been given aside from that um also this week uh later today we're recording this monday morning uh monday afternoon the ballon d'or will be given men's and women's and curious to see on the men's side if it's going to be messy or van dyke uh i think it's going to be messy that's what i think um, once again, I was a voter for the FIFA award earlier, uh, a couple months ago and, and barely chose Messi over Van Dyke. Um, and then on the women's side, it's interesting to me because, uh, I've seen several people, European women's soccer journalists I follow on Twitter saying this is somehow between Sam Kerr and Viv Miedma. And there was a world cup this year. And the U.S. won it, and Rapino is the best player, so I would think Rapino should win. I would be shocked if Megan Rapino doesn't win. World Cups matter when it comes to Player of the Year awards. Yes. Right? I, I, yes. I would be absolutely shocked. Yeah, me too. Um, but, and Messi equally. Yes, there's an argument to be made. Uh, the Champions League wasn't won by Messi and Barcelona last season and Copa America Argentina. But think about it from an individual perspective, just what he achieved in 2018, 2019. Virgil van Dijk has a very legitimate argument. I just don't, I think it's seldom, I mean, I think the last time a center back won it was Cannavaro. Right. I just I think the argument's against him. And ten years since Messi won his first one, I think I think he's on course of winning a record six. My main hope is they don't invite back that jerk uh, announcer last year, the presenter, the DJ. Oh, that was who, this one, right? Right. Oh my god. Ask like, Hegerberg to, Hegerberg to twerk. To twerk. Nah, it's just the worst. It will not happen. Um this is one of those things where the award is actually given by France Football, which is a publication. And it makes me wonder, should like we start our own Sports Illustrated award or something for the best players in soccer and just get them to come? Like, people want to come to New York. Yeah, let's go to a bar in uh, Brooklyn. <laughs> no, man, we'll like, do it up big. Like, I always thought it would be good, kind of a cool thing for Sports Illustrated well, to do. Well, that would be amazing. Let's get on it. So we're pitching it right now. Yep. Um, we talked about midweek Premier League games. Keep an eye on that. United Spurs on Wednesday. Also, Liverpool-Everton. That's always a tough game for Liverpool. Obviously, it's a rivalry game. And, you know, Marco Silva is, you know, 
his job is hanging by a thread. Yeah. So I think a loss here, I mean, I, I actually, I, I'll be honest, I, I thought that he was going to lose his job this morning. Um, as we speak, it's fine, but this is a huge game uh, for both sides. The look on his face when uh, Lester got the late goal, I felt bad for the guy. Correctly, right? VAR. Came, oh, yeah. Uh, there were some good calls for, from VAR this weekend. So today we mentioned earlier is the nine-year anniversary of December twenty December 2nd, 2010, the day FIFA gave the World Cups to Qatar and Russia. And I just wanted to go down memory lane a little bit here because... I was there. I was in Zurich to cover this event. One of the most surreal experiences I've ever had. And I think what happened there that day has had a gigantic influence on the history of FIFA. I think it's the biggest single moment this century for FIFA. It led to the FBI investigation that uh, arrested so many people from FIFA in 2015. Uh, And... uh, if you recall, the U.S. was expected to get World Cup 22 that day. Qatar ends up getting it instead. Russia ends up getting 2018 ahead of England and other places. And basically from that moment, instantly, uh, the idea, the popular notion was that these were bought by both Russia and Qatar. And since then, by the way, like the 24 voters, more than half of them have been either thrown off the FIFA executive committee for improper behavior or some sort of malfeasance, criminal, ethical, or otherwise. So um, just a a crazy moment. Here's what I remember, because um, the night before, I remember being at this Borlak Hotel, which is where all the FIFA fat cats stayed, this five-star hotel in Zurich on the water. And I remember... Uh, being in a group, I sat next to Chuck Blazer, himself, sh- our, our shady American, no longer living. Uh, it was a group that also had Mia Ham and Nomar Garcia Parra in it. And we were just having a drink, you know, just looking forward to the vote the next day. Little and, did you know. Little did I know what was coming. Uh, but it was just an interesting um, scene, I guess is uh, is the best way to describe it. And then um, the U.S. every every co- country made its bid, and the U.S. had hired Morgan Freeman to do the to actually come to Zurich and and read something. And this guy is a hired voice, right? It's Morgan Freeman, and he's reading, and suddenly he stops and goes. I believe I have lost my page. <laughs> and, and and we're looking around like, seriously? Like Morgan Freeman is going to, to screw up the U.S.'s bid here. And of the, the speakers for the U.S., you had Morgan Freeman who screwed up. You had Bill Clinton who talked and talked and talked and basically just didn't add for his foundation. This is so weird. And the one speaker who actually had their stuff together for the U.S. was Landon Donovan. (laughs) Not Morgan Freeman, not Bill Clinton, and it was just so strange. Um, That is so weird. This whole thing is so strange. Morgan Freeman losing his page. Yeah, (laughs) it it was just everything that could have gone wrong did, basically. Um, I think it's what you just said, though. I think that this anniversary is sort of the proverbial curtains, like, pulling out and seeing the darkness 
that ensued from FIFA and what followed ever so after that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, everything changed that day. And I remember the night after the vote. So I'm just hanging out in this fancy hotel where all the FIFA delegates are. And the England bid for 2018 had just gotten blown out of the water. And I saw the two or three of the African voters, and I wrote this the next day, go over to the England group and tell them, I voted for you. And, and the England guys were laughing because they knew that they were lying, because they knew how many votes they had. And, and the, the voters didn't know that the votes numbers had been released to the public. That's crazy. That is crazy. Just the shadiest, seediest operation I had ever seen. FIFA, man. Qatar 2022. <laughs> it's still going to happen, by the way, as it did in Russia in 2018. Yep. Um, other news, Lyon has, is in negotiations, exclusive negotiations to buy Rain FC and the NWSL. Uh, Lyon obviously is the club for women's soccer in Europe. Uh, invest more money than anybody else. Just a really interesting situation here. I think this is a good thing because People in the NWSL had always told me that the biggest problem with Rain FC, Seattle, Tacoma, they just didn't have enough money in the I, ownership group. I think this is a good thing. I think it's about it, it all depends on how the partnership unfolds and how it develops into more than just a, a marketing perspective. You know, they can be a sort of a knowledge information sharing of talent and squad and coaching acquisition and what Rain FC can learn from arguably the best team and in the women's game and the you know and and, and a group like uh, Lyon that does so much so I think it's a good thing it, it all just all depends how it unfolds I think yeah it's just good to have the money behind uh, a, a rain outfit that hasn't had it. Uh, it it's striking to me when you look at how successful the Portland Thorns have been that rain FC hasn't been as successful mm. in terms of public support up there or even compared to the Sounders and it's not like they don't have good players. They've got Megan Rapino. They've got Ali Long. They've got Jess Fishlock. They, you know, they got to the playoffs this year. So I think that's how Leon can help. In, I hope so. In terms of growing both the structural, you know, aspects of of the club, but also how to make it uh, a popular team within the community in, in itself. I'd like to see Barcelona do that with an a, NWSL a team, of, which yeah. we've sort of been waiting for for a while, and it hasn't happened. But at least Leon's like. We're going to get involved Let's go. here. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, it is summer tournament draw season. Euro 2020 um, had their draw over the weekend. A little screwy, as we sort of expected, because we don't know who all 24 teams are yet. And Still so there's, some, for the playoffs, there's yeah. some blank spots. But clearly, Group F is an insane group of death. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm watching this thing, and the only thing that's confusing me more is the uh, opening ceremony. Aside from that, everything was just insane. Germany, Portugal, France. The last three winners, I think, of the European Championships. Por the Germany win? Portugal won the last one. Why did Germany win? I can't remember. Sorry. But it's still a really, it's still a really group. <laughs> Germany's a good team, by the way. <laughs> but, and also, too, the, the blank team is the group is the A playoffs. So yeah. it's the the best team that will emerge from the playoffs this month. Yes, correct. And it's 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 just crazy. It's crazy. I mean, there are other topics I can discuss. England's gonna face a few old familiar foes. 
Czech Republic, Croatia, uh, maybe Scotland, if Scotland wins the playoffs, so that should be interesting. Italy, who was perfect in the qualifiers, now faces an interesting group, you know, Turkey, uh, which is the opener, I think. But that group of death is just insane. <laughs> and then this Wednesday, the Copa America draw takes place. And is this the fourth Copa America in six years? I thought it was fourth in this week. Fourth and five? Yeah. It's just crazy. Since the centenario has just been going on and on. And the, I noted this is the last one that will be this so recurring. After right. this, it'll take a, a, you know, a two-year hiatus, I believe. Uh, this year, the invite next year, the invited teams will be Qatar again. Uh, shocker, <laughs> Asian champion Qatar, yeah, by yeah, the way. Yeah, well, who is a good team and is yeah. developing, but and Australia, Australia is also the other team that will be invited. So you know, uh, and it's going to be in Argentina and Colombia, and Colombia. which makes a lot of sense. Yep, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the draw will take place in Cartagena. Uh, so, I mean, what else can you say affect that we have another Copa America coming next year? I will say this. We talked about Lothara Martinez earlier. I am intrigued by Argentina having a potential revival. Yes, absolutely. With Lionel Messi. Absolutely. You're seeing it already. Yeah. You're, you're seeing it already on this Colony. You can see a squad building its chemistry. And it's funny. I remember talking to Veron. Juan Sebastián Verón at Soccer X last year. And one of the things that he said to me was, and it was in the heat of the moment of Argentina struggling, etc. And he said, listen, everybody's obviously worried about Argentina and how it's going to be, but there is such a thing that we forget to talk about in this game, which is transition. You have to go through a period of, uh, you know, inadequacy and, you know, lack of a better word, you know, players that are not as strong, aging players that are, you know, not as good as they were four years ago. And unfortunately, that just happened with Argentina in the most key of form of positions, the midfield completely aging. They were relying too much on Lionel Messi. Uh, there was no chemistry. Uh, obviously, the federation in Argentina is an absolute mess. But right now, what you're seeing is a growth of young Argentinians, especially in the midfield and offensively, that are delivering. And it's no longer anymore about just Messi, Messi, Messi. Lautaro Martinez, Dybala, all these players are, are doing things now in their for their clubs. And they're all just now working together uh, you know, for, for, for the manager. And so it'll be interesting to see what what happens in Copa America next summer. But I can tell you this, it will be a better, it will be a different Argentina than you saw in 2019. Who would have ever thought that Argentina, the national team, would figure out how to use Messi better than Barcelona? <laughs> Seriously. Because that's where we are right now, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I would like to see Messi raise a trophy with Argentina. Of course. You know? And then just, we can finally, I mean, put me, it to bed. me and you know he's the greatest player that's ever lived, but finally just win a title yeah. and, and just put it to bed. That is it for this week's Planet Football Podcast. Come back on Thursday for my interview podcast episode of the week, and we'll be back next Monday. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.